Welcome again to Antioch Community Church Brighton's virtual service. My name is John Lux, and I have the privilege of serving here as the associate pastor, and I am a part of Thursday Brighton Life Group. All right, what does it mean for Antioch Community Church Brighton to be a Great Commission church? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, because we're in the middle of a series talking about who we are as a church. And we can't talk about who Antioch Community Church Brighton is without touching on Jesus' purposes uh, in our own time through the Great Commission. And if you've been at Antioch for 15 or 16 or 17 years, this is still a message for you. Every year we come back and touch again on the things that God has called us to. And if you're near, I'm so glad. If you're new here, I'm so glad because this is a time when we're in, when, when we're wanting to to invite you to understand us as a church. What makes us tick and what are we passionate about? All right. Uh, last week in our service, we sent out two church plants, one to Roxbury, Massachusetts, and another one to Quincy, Massachusetts. Now, wh- why do we do that? That's a great question. Why do we do that? Why do we send out people that we love on, on mission? And, and they're not going to be a part of our Sunday church anymore. They're a part of another church this morning. Why do we do that? We're not on some kind of reality television show where those church plant members failed the elimination challenge and we got rid of them. No, these are people that we love. Why do we go through the pain of uh, of sending them out and and no longer having them here with us? Well, it's because we're part of something called the Great Commission. It's a call from Jesus to make disciples of all nations everywhere. And it compels us to spread out and multiply the kingdom of God here in Boston and everywhere around the world. The Great Commission is actually a lot bigger than church planting, and we're going to dig way into it today. But the Great Commission is central to Antioch. I mean, so what, though, right? Like, why is it it the center? Like, who cares? Why do we have to do that particular thing? That's a valid question. And uh, I've tried to think of a more clever way to answer it, but at the end of the day, we care about the Great Commission because we are fascinated with the person of Jesus. I mean, we, we care about the Great Commission because what we really want is to be near to Jesus. I mean, just to look on the one that we love, as the Bible says, to behold the desire of our hearts. Uh, that's what it's about for us. And like, at Jesus, at Antioch, we're not willing to just settle for ministry or settle for community or settle for um, activity. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus himself that we are longing for. And everything we do, every purpose and ministry and activity has got to be tied with the scarlet thread to the person and purposes of Jesus. And let me just tell you this morning, Jesus can be known, and the nearness of Jesus can be felt. And you might be home all by yourself watching this on Zoom, feeling very far from the presence of God, but I swear to you that he can be known, and that his presence can be felt. And the beauty of the Great Commission 
is that love for Jesus makes you want to be with him. And that desire to be with Jesus makes you want to do the thing that he is doing. And if you were alive on earth in 0 AD, if you wanted to be with Jesus, guess what? During his ministry on earth, he spent three years constantly on the go, journeying from one place to another. And so if we see ourselves as walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, then then that life of knowing Jesus means being on a journey with Jesus and going with Jesus while he fulfills his own purposes in the earth. And the purposes of Jesus in the earth right now have everything to do with the Great Commission. All right, let's take a look at our passage today. Um, Matthew 28, uh, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. All right, and the context for this passage, right? Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, right? So he came back from the dead. He spent some time working with his disciples, and then he goes back up into heaven. Now, Jesus, before he goes up into heaven, has some instructions for his disciples. And you can think of it a little bit this way. Uh, I've done a fair bit of traveling in my life, and some of the time, there's someone who's house-sitting for me. Now, my house uh, is not perfect, but I love my house. And when someone house-sits for me, I give them instructions, not just so that they can have the Wi-Fi password, but so they will know how to take care of my house. And so when Jesus goes up into heaven, he gives the great commission so that they will know how to manage the house of Jesus while he is not there physically with them. All right, and what is this first part here? It says that they worshiped him. Now, starting with this verse, worshiping Jesus becomes one of the primary occupations of his disciples, worshiping Jesus. And it's interesting. Jesus doesn't deliver the Great Commission in a press release. He doesn't deliver it in a conference setting. He goes up on a hilltop with his closest friends, and they worship there. And it's in that environment of worshiping Jesus that he lays out his purpose in the earth today. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Why is he emphasizing that? Well, number one, when you commission someone in the military, you have to have authority to commission them, to invite them into that promise of service. And for all of us, we're under the authority of Jesus as we receive the Great Commission, that we don't just carry out his promises in some sort of Rambo fashion as vigilantes, but we are involved under the authority of Jesus in the Great Commission. All right, and then the next part is so straightforward. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, a couple pieces of that. Go. In Greek, the word is poreo, which means to begin a journey, to go. And it's a command. It's not a metaphor. It's, it's a go command, to begin a journey. Now, uh, this phrase, all nations, right? When I first started coming to Antioch, uh, I, had been in, I had been exposed to church in some different ways, but people were always talking about the nations, and I just thought that was the weirdest thing. This idea that someone would talk about loving the nations. And I'm like, what are you talking? Are you like the United Nations? Are you like, 
you know, what is going on here? And I just couldn't get it. And what I finally realized was that it's a, it's a phrase and expression that comes from the Bible. And this phrase, the nations, meant all peoples of the earth. And, uh, and it, it refers to all the people outside of God's promise. The nations, meaning all the non-Jewish peoples, is usually how it's used in the Old Testament. And here in the New Testament... It's used in a slightly different way. It says in this verse, uh, all nations, it's tanta ta ethne, or all ethne. And ethne in Greek is the root for ethnic groups, right? So God is calling us to all ethnic groups. A more sociological way to break it down would be all people groups or all affinity groups. And there's something in the heart of God that doesn't just want his people that he set aside, but he wants all people to be his people. And he's not looking for them all just to show up at church one day. He wants them engaged in some process of discipleship, of following Jesus, making disciples. And that's all nations, all ethne. All right. And so we step back and look at the Great Commission. It's pretty straightforward. It's not really lacking in detail. It is a specific commission. What are we supposed to do? Make disciples. Who are we supposed to do it for? all nations of the earth. How are we supposed to do it? By baptizing and by teaching them to obey all that we learned from Jesus. And that's it. That's it. That's the Great Commission. That's its meaning. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Jesus is up to right now on the earth. The Great Commission. But it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is the focal point of Jesus' purpose. That's its New New Testament context. But the full context for this commission is a lot, lot bigger than that. In fact, it's big enough that I'm probably going to need a PowerPoint slide to really work our way through it. So in the next couple of minutes, we're going to break down the entire Old Testament into three covenants. Now, the Bible has a lot more than three covenants in it. The, the idea of covenant is a key idea for understanding what's happening in the Bible. Number one, berit, covenant, in Hebrew, refers to a binding promise between two parties. A binding promise between two parties. And if you sold a piece of land, you did it by signing a covenant. And if you entered into marriage, you're in a marriage covenant. It's a binding promise between two sides, which they both must fulfill. Now, an agreement, a covenant is an agreement between two people where each of them promises to do one or two things, right? So on this side, there's a person making a promise, and on this side, there's a person making a promise, and they're each bound by their covenant with one another. Now, uniquely, the covenants of the Bible are covenants between God and human beings. And God makes one whenever he is setting aside a people for himself. Now, that setting aside of people for himself is something that God does over and over again in the Bible. Now, the starting point of the Old Testament covenants is Abraham, right? Now, Abraham was a man on a mission. He was born in the city of Ur, and he takes his family and goes on a journey to the promised land. And on the journey, God stops him and makes a covenant with him. Now, there's a ceremony and a sacrifice and a lot going on. And in this moment, God makes a promise to Abraham, and Abraham makes a promise to God. And the promise that Abraham is entering into is a promise to worship God only. And secondarily, it's a promise that Abraham will not hold anything back from God. 
Nothing in his life will be held back, not even his son. And on God's side, he honors his covenant with Abraham by making this promise. Number one, he promises to bless Abraham. Number two, he promises to make Abraham a great nation. And number three, he makes this promise. Listen to it. He says, I will bless all nations through your descendants. Whoa. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Now, Abraham's descendants do become a great nation. They come to number in the hundreds of thousands, but they're in slavery in the land of Egypt. And God sends another man on mission, Moses, who goes to Egypt and by God's miraculous power delivers God's people. Now again, all God's people are on a journey to the promised land. And on that journey, God stops them along the way. And he comes and makes a covenant with them. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And on one side of it, God is promising to bless Moses. He's promising to bless his people. And on the other side, Moses is promising a lot. Moses is promising, number one, in Deuteronomy 6.5, he's promising that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you will have no other gods before him. And after that verse follows the entire Old Testament law. It's the ethical and moral law of God. And on Moses' side of this covenant, he's saying, we will worship you only, you alone will be our God, and we submit to your moral and ethical law, as outlined in the Old Testament. Now today we're viewing that same Old Testament law through a a God-provided lens of grace. But the Mosaic covenant was to follow God and to live according to God's law. And on God's side of that covenant, God promised to bless Moses. He promised to bless God's people. And this blessing was that when you live according to my law, I will be near to you. I will bless you and increase you. And most importantly, it said, when you live according to my ways in this covenant, all peoples who come in contact with you will find justice. They will find righteousness. And the ways of God will increase and spread in the earth. Now, moving on from the covenant of Moses is something called the Davidic covenant. Now, we don't talk a ton about the Davidic covenant because, we, because it's, it's a more one-sided covenant than the other one. And this time, instead of being on a geographical journey from one place to another, this covenant is given to the people of God when they are on the journey of dealing with their own sin. Because guess what? When a covenant has two sides, God and human beings, God is always able to fulfill his side of the covenant. But human beings fail. And we fell short in the Abrahamic covenant. And we fell short in the Mosaic covenant. We were unable to obey the law. And we broke our side of the covenant. But in this Davidic covenant, God does something new. In this covenant, he promises that he himself will fulfill both sides. That he will enable us to fulfill these other two covenants. He will, he will fulfill them himself. And then on the other side, he is going to bless us and be near to us just as, as he had promised. And the, the promise is given to King David. And this is what the promise looks like that God makes. He says, one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. And he will bring peace and reconciliation. Not a just generalized world peace, but he's going to bring reconciliation between God and man. And he's going to do it by God himself coming to be with 
us. That's the Davidic promise. And it uses the, the language of a rescuer who is going to come. And this rescuer is called in Hebrew the Messiah. In Latin, he's called the Christ. And when we come across him as Jesus Christ, we see that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross in such a way, fully God and fully man, that he paid the price for sin. And in doing so, he fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, that when we failed to be faithful to God, Jesus paid the price for us. And number two, when we failed in our obedience to the ethical and moral law of God, Jesus paid the price for us and he fulfilled the Davidic covenant because he came and he was with us. And when he died on the cross, he opened up the way to know God by dealing with our problem of sin. And so no longer are we knowing God only through this covenant contract, but we're coming in and knowing God in our heart as the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus comes to dwell in us. The Davidic covenant was fulfilled by the activity of Jesus. When Jesus' earthly ministry is all done, he goes up on a hilltop, he's worshiped by his disciples, and he gives his last words, the Great Commission. And what does he say? Go therefore to all nations. All nations. Jesus is saying, now we are involved in the family business of God, fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. We enter into it. Jesus is still fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, that all nations would be blessed by the way that he's pouring out his own love on us. And he wants us to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them all that you have heard from Jesus, all that he has commanded us. And what is it exactly that Jesus commands in the New Testament? Well, Jesus spends the New Testament teaching us a grace-filled lens of understanding the law of God. He's teaching us how to live under God's law, under God's authority, under his moral structure. And when Jesus calls us to make disciples and teach them what Jesus taught us, he's calling us to fulfill the Mosaic Covenant. He fulfilled it himself, but it's still relevant. And as we engage in the purposes of God on earth right now in the Great Commission, we're a part of that still. But what about the Davidic Covenant? Well, the Davidic Covenant was a promise, among other things, that God would dwell with man. That he wouldn't be far away, but that we would really know him and that he would really be with us. And that's why I think the final words of this Great Commission are, Behold, I am with you always. Because we don't just, you know, get our marching orders from Jesus and march out the door. Just like we don't send out a church plant to Quincy and be like, Peace, good luck. That's not how it works. Jesus promises that he is going to be with us. He's going to be with us in the pain, in the complexity, in the disappointment, in the ambiguity, he is going to be with us. And you might be going through the loneliest time in your life right now, in COVID. You might have just moved to the city and have no one, no one to hang out with except a bunch of faces you just saw on a Zoom call. But the promise of Jesus is that as we go on mission with him, as we start the journey, going with God in the direction that he is going, he's going to meet with us on the way. 
And he says that he will be with us. And you might not be feeling it, but I'll tell you, every, every Antioch missionary on the field, when they're, when they're prospering and when they're suffering, will testify to you that the nearness of Jesus is real. As we give ourselves to the purpose of God, we are walking with God. And he is going to be with us. That's what we want and that's what he wants. And as we're near to him, we take on the things that he really cares about. We step into the purpose of God and the Great Commission. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, God, we, we can't even leave our house some of the day. We are restricted from even seeing other people. God, we, we've never felt further from being able to fulfill your purposes. But you have a solution to our incompetence and inability, and your solution is that you will be with us. God, we find ourselves unable to fulfill your mission. We find ourselves unable in ourselves to come up with a solution, but you said that you would be with us, God. Would you come and be with us and meet us on the journey? In our loneliness and frustration and disillusionment, God, we need to be with you. And in the name of Jesus, we receive your commission. God, we desire to be faithful to your purposes and we want to know you. Amen. See you around.